Mark chapter 10. All right, let's begin reading in verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at the man, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters, and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you, God, for... The, the privilege, God, the honor that we have to gather around this table. Thank you for your presence here this morning, God. And I pray that despite the distractions, that we would remain focused on why we are here and the openness to discern what you would have us to do with what we're about to talk about. This is not a new text for, I would assume, most, if not all of us, and yet uh, sometimes some, it's good to be reminded of, of your goodness, of your graciousness, of the call that you have upon our lives. Uh, help us to understand um, our responsibility as followers of Jesus. For those who aren't followers, for those that are just seekers, for those that are just um, attempting to find a way, I pray that uh, perhaps some things said today would prompt their spirit to be in line with your spirit. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said, this particular text is nothing new. You've, you've all heard this text before, right? We hear about a rich, young ruler who approaches Jesus and, and asks a, a pretty significant question. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We live in a society that's been described in recent years as everyone gets a blue ribbon, right? 
You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to win anymore, right? You just have to participate. So everybody joins the rec league. Um, it's not just first place or second place or third place anymore. I remember growing up where uh, in the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts, we would have certain competitions, and there were always these uh, times where they have recognition of awards. And somebody always got third place, and somebody always got second place, and somebody always got first place. Anybody remember those days? It's no longer like that anymore, right? Everybody, even the Boy Scouts, is no longer Boy Scouts. You understand that, right? Now it's just Scouts. Isn't that amazing? We live in a world where everybody gets a participation award. Everybody gets a blue ribbon. Everybody gets a trophy. Does that bother anybody? Yet for many of us as believers, for many of us as Christians, we treat Christianity as everybody gets a reward. That's not scriptural. We talked this morning briefly in our Bible study about the sheep and the goats. I think Brandon brought up the text, Matthew chapter 25. There's going to come a point in time where we all stand before Jesus, however judgment takes place, and Jesus is going to establish those who will receive the just reward, and those who thought they were doing well. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we? Didn't we? And he will say, get away from me, I never knew you. Have you ever, have you ever thought at length about that text? That, that's a pretty significant text. I would, I would suggest you look at that. Matthew chapter 25. But not everyone receives a participation award. I know people in my life, and perhaps you know people in your life, who live their life, live their quote-unquote Christian life, they, they call themselves Christian, and yet they live their lives such as everyone receives a participation award. Everyone's going to get a blue ribbon. And the surprise on their face when it doesn't happen that way. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? And yet that's the... That's gospel. I, I, this particular text, I want to point out just a couple of things that perhaps you've thought about, maybe you haven't, but notice what it says. Jesus was going on his journey. He's going out in his public ministry. He's being followed by his 12 closest followers, plus a few more. And a man runs up and kneels down before Jesus. In other words, he thinks Jesus is pretty significant. He recognizes that Jesus has something to say. And he says, good teacher. Sign of respect. Sometimes I'll go back to my undergrad school and I'll recognize a professor that I had years ago and I'll show a certain amount of respect and tell them how much I appreciate them. And uh, You guys have done the same before. You, you may write notes or cards or you run across somebody that you remember that made an impact on your life and certainly you show a certain amount of respect for those people, and maybe you even address them as a good person. But notice how Jesus answers the man. Why do you call me? Why do you call me good? This man was a Jew. We know that from the text. And Jesus answers the man kind of a strange way, and he says, "Why do you call me good when only God is good? Only God alone is good." I think it's important, especially in the society in which we live, and especially in this blue ribbon society where everyone gets a participation award, to understand the gospel fully, to truly understand the gospel, to understand salvation and discipleship. And by the way, 
If you haven't picked up on it by now, throughout Mark, in the last couple of months we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, Mark's particularly concerned about how to live your life after you meet Jesus. In other words, it's a given for Mark in a lot of these texts that we've been reading that these people are followers of Jesus Christ, are they not? Now some are nominal followers, some are just following Jesus because they want to see what the next miracle he's going to do. But at certain levels, we're all followers of Jesus Christ, at least in this gospel called Mark. In other words, these are texts about discipleship. These are texts on what it means to follow Jesus. And so the man has a significant question. He has an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's a good Jew. And Jews are known for what? Jews are known for the 613 laws. First of all, they're known for the Ten Commandments. You remember Moses. When God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, and then Moses comes down from the mountain and shares that with the the people. And they take these ten words, the Decalogue, and they make 613 laws out of these Ten Commandments. The Jews were known for following the law. So this man would have known what the law was. But notice how Jesus begins his answer. Why do you call me good? Maybe it refers to what we call the Shema passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, 5. We're going to take a look at this later. Jot that down. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. It's called the Great Shema passage where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it says more so in the Hebrew than the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is the great one. He's the only one. He is the one true God. Does that sound familiar throughout the Old Testament? So perhaps Jesus was referring back to the Shema passage when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Why do you call me Lord? In other words, Jesus has been kind of putting off people that say, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. Yet here, when the man says, Good teacher, Jesus makes him pause and say, Do you really understand what you're saying? Who can be good except... God alone. A couple of New Testament verses I want to point out to you. If you're taking notes, jot these down as well. From the Gospel of John, chapter 17, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Notice the law. If you're a Jew, you, you, you look back at the law, right? You evaluate yourself based upon the law. But it says here in the Gospel of John, the law was given through Moses. Semicolon. You know what a semicolon is? It's another way of saying but. Contrast, right? So the law was given through Moses, the Torah. You're a good Jew. You would know the law is given through Moses. You would know your Old Testament. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the same gospel, if you're not aware, that says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus would say of himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Notice he doesn't say anything about the Torah. He says nothing about the law in that text, does he? In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, where we're told the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say about the law? He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to show you what the law looks like. So you don't dismiss the law, even as New Testament believers. We don't dismiss the Torah. We don't dismiss the Old Testament. But Jesus reveals to us what we should live like uh, through faith, through grace, through truth. 
truth. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Paul would say, Now we know that whatever the law says, notice that word, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Who's he talking to, by the way? He's talking to Jews. He's talking to Gentiles in Rome. So there's this debate going on in the the church, the house churches, about who's in and who's out. But notice what Paul says. Whoever is under the law, uh, or whoever the law speaks to, those under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, you can't be good enough. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20 says it this way. For by works of the law, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I'm going to let that sit there for a second. Look at what it says. You know why Jesus answers the man to begin with by saying, why do you call me good? No one can be good except God alone. And notice what Paul says. This is the same guy who will will write in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I keep on doing, those are the things that I want to stop doing. What a wretched man I am. The same Paul. Or the same gospel writer that we just talked about with grace and truth and declaring who Jesus Christ is. Here's Here's something that you have to understand. And if you don't understand it, you'll never completely understand the gospel. You'll never be able to go out and share the gospel with those you love. You can never be good enough. I can never be good enough. I can't put enough money in the offering plate. I can't run down the aisle enough. I can't get in the baptistry. And you guys probably have seen the old jokes or the, the Facebook situations where they just, you know, we dunk and then we dunk. And we, maybe they'll get it eventually. Or there's an old preacher, there's an old preacher joke that goes around that says, Oh, you know, oh Larry's a bad enough guy. I think we ought to hold Larry under under a little bit longer. So that when he comes up, something has taken place. But Larry's never going to be good enough. And Mike's never going to be good enough. And you're never going to be good enough. Now don't use this as an excuse because when our parents say, Well, just go be good, you can't say, Well, I can never be good enough. But it's more than just. It's more than just understanding the gospel is more than just following the 613 laws. It says right here in John and in Romans, we cannot be good enough. We cannot live lives that are worthy of salvation. Isn't that what makes the gospel such a miracle? Such good news? So why don't we understand that? Why don't we understand that? I think Jesus answers this man in a poignant way that we shouldn't quickly dismiss. Why do you call me good? No one except God is good. Then he goes on to use the commandments, but notice he doesn't give the ten words, does he? He doesn't give the Decalogue. Jesus, if you will, picks and chooses which commandment he's going to list. Did you notice that? In other words, it doesn't start with keep the Sabbath holy, Or, I'm going to be your only God. It doesn't start that way, does it? What does it start with? There's five different things that Jesus talks about. Notice what he says. You know the commandments. You're a good Jew. Don't murder. 
Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, each of those have something similar. What is it? Anybody? They deal with relationship. Don't they? Honor your father and mother. Doesn't that deal with relationship? Don't murder. Doesn't that deal with relationship? You know, church, we set out a year and a half ago to say we're about loving God. We're about loving our, our people, our fellow man. We're about loving our neighbor. And we love by going. How do we know that we love God? How do people around us know that we love God? Only if we're loving people. How do people know that we love God? Only by loving people. That's why it's so important that we understand what it means to love our brothers as ourselves. When Jesus says, you know what the law says, He doesn't begin with a relationship with God. He begins with His relationship with His fellow man. You guys remember the, the, the story about the prodigal son? Who's the neighbor in that, in that scenario? It's not the older brother. What's the older brother doing? He's whining about not having a party thrown for him. Or perhaps you understand the, the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan? Who's, the, who's the, the, the neighbor in that scenario? It's the person nobody would have experienced, would have expected to be the, the neighbor. I, I wonder, do people know of my love for God based upon how I act toward them? Do they know your love for God based upon you, how you act toward them? Not just on a Sunday, not just in a church setting, not just at a Bible study, not when you just feel spiritual, but how do you interact with one another? Recently we read a book uh, by Bob Goff that talks about love wins. And he talks about this loving greatly. And it got me to thinking, do I love greatly? Do I love greatly? God, give me the opportunities to love greatly. No matter whether they're lovable or not, because you know what? They're not lovable. And you know what? You're not lovable. And God loves you anyway. You see, that's the crux of the Gospel. That's the initial understanding of the Gospel. We'll never understand salvation until we understand how much we need a Savior. Can I say that again? We'll never understand salvation unless we understand how much we need a Savior. It's true for people outside these walls as well, is it not? So the Gospel is not just to be received. The Gospel is not just to be carried out. But I have to understand the Gospel. I have to understand the good news, the message that God gives me so that I can share that with others. And how I interact with others, we could get up all day long. There's an, there could be an elder standing up here. I could say it over and over again. Your Sunday, school, or your, your Sunday school leader could say it over and over again. We're about loving God, loving people, love by going. But if it's just words on a page, or if it's just something you say and you say and you say and never do, then are we really about those things? And if we're not, are we any different than the goats in Matthew chapter 25? In other words, I'm saying, are we actually about loving God? Prove it. Are we actually about loving our fellow man? Show me how. Are we going? Give me some examples of going. That's what Jesus begins with. The, fellow, the fellowship with His fellow man. The the relationship that he should have with people. But the man, as so often is the case, is blinded by his natural eyes. And he says, well, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been a good Jew. I, I've done all these things. I've kept the Ten Commandments. I've done all these things all my life. Verse 21, at least in the English Standard Version, says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One translation says he had compassion on him. Another translation says he pitied the man. He loved him greatly. 
This man's got a great motivation for asking the question that he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his motivation. Jesus, recognizing his motivation and talking to him about relationship with his fellow man, he loved him greatly and said to him, there's still one thing. Wait a minute. Marianne, if you're a Jew, how do you evaluate yourself? You evaluate yourself based upon the law. What Jews know. 613 laws. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. We're no Jews. Most of us don't have any Jewish heritage anymore. We're not, we're not Jews in the, in the sense. But how do you evaluate yourself? How much money I put in the offering plate? How many times I come to church? You get the idea? You get the idea? See, these, these evaluations that whether it's a Jew or whether it's even us, church, they're all faulty. Jesus is going to correct the man and He's going to say, you've, you've thought all along. Let me give you another example. I, I mentioned to you the Sermon on the Mount just a few minutes ago. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, think about this for a second. The scenario is this. Jesus sets down on a mountainside. They all gather around Jesus. They've, they've recognized that Jesus is teaching with authority. And Jesus begins this great sermon, the greatest sermon of all, of course. Blessed are the... He starts with the Beatitudes. And he gets to chapter 6, and what did he say? You've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. But I tell you. You hear what he's saying? You've heard that it was said, good Jew. You've heard that it was said, don't murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother has already committed murder. Isn't that what he says? What's he doing? You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who has looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. What's he saying? You can be the best Pharisee. You can be the best Jew. You can be the best New Testament Christian. You can have all the Sunday school answers and be far from God. You can be a preacher. You can be somebody who gives a communion meditation, an offering meditation, an elder, a deacon. You can be the Sunday school superintendent and be far from God. Isn't that what he's saying? I wonder if Jesus were here and he says, you know what, tell me about your faith. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't killed anybody. I, I, I'm jealous from time to time, but I guess no more than anybody else. I, I, I take care of the poor. I, I, I give $5 or $10 if I know somebody needs a meal. I, I'm a pretty good guy, Jesus. But why do we do what we do? It goes back to this idea of the inside is greater than the outside. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about here? Jesus would say, there's still one thing you lack. Just like he tells this man here in Mark chapter 10. I'm a good Jew. I've kept all these things since I was a young boy. And Jesus says, this is God in the flesh who has given Moses the law so that Moses could go down the mountain and tell the people of God the law. Everything is as planned so far and now Jesus shows up and he deals with this good Jew who asks him what must I do to spend eternity with God there's still one thing you lack and here's what it is whether you're a Jew or whether you're a New Testament Christian there's still one thing you lack now and here's the commandments you ready number one is go number two is sell all that you have number three is give to the poor you will have treasure in heaven. And number four is come and follow me. Go, sell, 
Give, come and follow. That's the answer. That's it. You know what got Ananias and Sapphira in trouble? You, you remember Ananias and Sapphira, early part of Acts? What, what got Ananias and Sapphira in trouble? The Bible says, Luke tells us, Luke who wrote Luke and Acts, tells us that the church was at such a, a stage where everybody was still, they had everything in common, they still remembered what Jesus had done, the commission that He gave them, the power. He said, go stay in the upper room until you receive this power from on high. They have this day of Pentecost, and the church is going, I mean, it, it, is, it is really progressing now. And Luke tells us they all had one thing in common. They were all doing, whatever I have is yours, whatever you have is mine. And then we get this account of Ananias and Sapphira. And if you don't know the scenario, Ananias comes in, and he, first of all, he's heard about this other believer who has sold some land and given it to the church. Well, Ananias doesn't want to be the second best. And so he and his wife, named Sapphira, decide they're going to sell some land, but they're going to hold part of the proceeds back. Sounds like a good business decision, doesn't it? You're going to file your taxes, but you're not going to be completely honest, right? Ananias? Right, Sapphira? Some of you are looking like, how do you know my mail? You know, you've been reading my mail? That's who we are. That's who we are as people. Remember what Peter tells Ananias and Sapphira? You've not lied to men. You've lied to God. There's a problem with your heart. There's a problem with my heart. The prophet Jeremiah would say, above all else, the heart is desperately wicked. We cannot be good enough. The reason that we have to understand the Gospel is because that's the only hope that we have, is Jesus Christ becomes our righteousness. So when God the Father looks down upon us, when you understand the holiness of God, that's a pretty scary thing. When God the Father looks down upon us, the good thing is He doesn't look at us anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, praise God. That's the Gospel. Now, now this, this is, man, this is so deep when you, when you think about it. Because they didn't get it either. Notice what it says. Disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man was a rich man. We're, we're told that in the other synoptic Gospels. He was a rich young ruler. And he goes away. He's been told the answer, right? He's been given, he's been given the keys. And, and he goes away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now maybe for you, it's not possessions. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself rich. Maybe it's not material possessions. Maybe it's your money that you're not willing to give up. Maybe it's not your money, but your time. Maybe it's your house. Whatever it is that you're not willing, how we remember uh, singing last Sunday, I surrender all. I, every time I, re, I, I sing the song, I surrender all, it's almost like it's introspective. And sometimes I don't even sing, to be honest with you, because I'm thinking, am I really surrendering all? It's easy to sing, you see. It's much harder to live that way. I surrender all. I surrender. I'm really spiritual, God. Look, look at me. I'm here again on a Sunday. I, I put money in the offering plate. I, I wrote a few encouragement cards. And I, 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 I'm comparatively, I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus would show up and say, "But you still lack one thing." And whatever it is, that one thing, it may be different for you than it is for me. But whatever it is, that one thing for this guy, it was his material possessions, and he goes away sad. He's disheartened, it says, for he had great possessions. And Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. He looks around and he says to his closest followers, 
hate, it's going to be difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to be difficult for you to think you're really a good person. Remember how the conversation starts? I'd give you the shirt off my back. Yeah, but would you die for me? I'd, I'd buy you a meal. Yeah, but if I was really, if, at 3 o'clock in the morning, can I really call you at 3 o'clock in the morning? You know, we say things. I hope this makes sense to somebody. I hope you can relate. We, we say things, but we really don't, we don't really want an answer. Let me give you an example. Hi, how are you? I, I don't really care how you are. I'm just being polite. You understand what I'm saying? If we're really loving our brother and I say, hey, how are you? I, I really want to know. Or if I say things like, hey, you can call me anytime. If you've got a problem, you've got my cell phone number, you can call me anytime. What does anytime mean? No, it doesn't mean anytime. It means Monday through Thursday from, it should mean anytime. But do we really mean that when we say it? See, our relationship, our relationships need work. Our relationships one to another, they need work. Our relationship one with God, it needs work. And so I would offer to you what goes on on the inside, what happens here, is much greater than happens on the outside. There's, I've said it before and I will say it again, church. There, there's no reason that we should get up and have to berate you and, and guilt you into giving and putting stuff in the offering plate. Making you feel guilty about putting... You should want to give in the offering plate. You should want to return at least a, a little... We always say a portion that belongs... It all belongs to God. And if we want to be here for, for the right reasons, if we're here worshiping, there should be no reason that we guilt anybody into... The Bible says that we should... God loves a joyful giver. Why does He love a joyful giver? Because they're giving out of their heart. So the inside is always greater than the outside. It talks about motivation disciples were amazed at Jesus' words, but Jesus said to them again, why were they amazed at His words? Why were they greatly astonished? Because they defined success the way we define success. Who, who were successful in the ancient Near East? Those with money. Those who could do something about their plight. And what do you do with, with plight? You, you pay it out. You pay out of that. You, you, you pay your money and you, you get out of whatever situation you're in. So the rich were kind of the upper echelon of the ancient Near East. And so the disciples were amazed, it says, or they were exceedingly astonished, is the way the ESV says it. But Jesus said to them again, children, listen, little ones, you don't, you don't understand, right? You're still little ones. You're, you're still in the faith, you're little ones. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. What? I thought this thing was pretty easy. That's not what Jesus says. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You've all heard that before, right? Now think about that for a second. Why would Jesus use that example? Because it's downright impossible. Have you ever tried... No, you haven't. Because you know it's impossible, right? That's why he uses that illustration that he uses. They would have all thought, what? That's, why would you even say that? Because that's what Jesus says about entering the kingdom of God. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be good enough. You can, for some of you, this is good news. You need grace, right? I'll be the first in line when it comes to grace. I think I'm faster than all of you when it comes to grace. They were exceedingly astonished. They said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. When, when God changes your heart, when the Holy Spirit moves in, then all things are possible with God. <laughs> and I love Peter. Peter, the one that we've seen over and over again throughout the Gospel, says, we've left everything for you. I surrender all. And Jesus, as diplomatic as he can, tells Peter, no, you haven't. 
No, no, Peter, you really haven't. And by the way, what you think you've left, guess what happens when you get Jesus in your life? Guess what happens when the Holy Spirit moves in? There, there are times throughout the Gospel, almost done here, but there are times throughout the Gospel that you just kind of go, what? what? What just happened here? Let me give you an example. When they come to Jesus and they say, your, mother, your, your mother's outside, remember that scenario? Your mother's outside and Jesus says, look around here. These are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. That sounds kind of harsh at the surface. What's he saying? He's saying we don't really understand what's going on. We don't really understand in places up here. We're always living here. I know this is particularly a difficult, in some ways it's a difficult text. Jesus goes on to say this. Verse 29, there's no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother father or children for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Do you understand that? Do you, do you get that? And that takes the gospel and goes, let me offer this to you as I close. Sometimes we think of salvation as just receiving. Don't we? We talked this morning in our Bible study church about saying a quote-unquote sinner's prayer. We think that salvation is receiving but it's much more than just receiving. Salvation is about surrender. Salvation is about surrender. I, I remember just a couple of years ago, there was, a, there was a marketing thing that was pretty popular for a time that was called I Am Second. Anybody remember that? I Am Second, I Am Second, I Am Second. So all these celebrities were making videos and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? That's nothing new. You should have always been second, or third, or fourth, never first. And yet so many of us are living, I'm talking to the church, I get that. So many of us still live our lives like, man, I hope, I hope God's going to bless whatever it is I plan to do because I'm going to do it whether he, plans, he blesses it or not. I mean, let's just be honest. And some of you that think, well, that's not the way I live, then you're fooling yourself because that's the way you live. That's the way I live. And we've got to get past ourselves. Jesus is telling this rich young ruler, you've got to get past yourself. And he's telling us, we've got to get past ourselves. So let me leave you with this question. What are you not willing to give up? What are you not? You can have everything else you want, God, but that closet over there, that's mine. Then you don't understand the gospel. You can have everything you want, God, but you can't have my bank account. Then you don't understand the gospel. I worked hard for that house. I worked hard for those cars. I, I worked hard for everything I had. Are you willing to surrender everything I ask you to surrender? Only then will you understand the gospel. God's not going to do anything He doesn't ask us to do. right? He's not going to be willing to ask us to do something without doing it Himself. So God sends Jesus in the flesh to die on the cross. He shows us what love is all about. He shows us what surrender is all about. He shows us, I know you've heard it all before, people will say, well, he could have called down legions of angels. Of course he could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he's showing us what surrender is all about. He's showing us what, what sacrifice is all about. He's showing us what salvation is all about. He's showing us what the perfect sacrifice is all about. It's the gospel. 
and we're still trying to do it on our own. God, forgive us. Let's pray. Father, for your word, um, I pray that you would do a work within us, God. Help us to love you by loving our brother, by loving by going. I ask God that we're not that we're not uh, that we're not hypocrites. That we're not just like everybody else that just says the right things, but we're doing something totally different. Help us to be about your business, not our own. I realize, God, that if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, that this message may not resonate at all. But I still pray um, by your spirit that something will change. And for those of us who have staked a claim, for those of us who claim to be followers, help us to be followers. For your grace, in Christ's name.